This is Sazine Kohler, and this is Microphones of Madness. Hey, everybody. Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey. And today we're talking American Monsters by our good friend, uh, Sazine Kohler. I actually said it right this time. Hey. Good thing she's a good friend. Uh, this is uh, this is Cezine's first novel, um, although it's not really a novel in the traditional sense. Uh, it's split into two parts. The first half is fiction. The second half is nonfiction. Uh, we're going to talk about the first half tonight. The fiction half is divided into two parts itself. You have the Succubi Sideshow, which is a series of vignettes that was uh, conceived as a potential comic script. Uh, even in there, there's a variety of um, narrative style. Right. And then we have a movie-style script in the second half of part one called The Fantastic Carnival, which is actually the lead-in to her second novel, Crime Rave. Right. And that's fantastic with a PH. That's fantastic with a PH. Like fat. Right. Or phantom. So uh, what did you think of the book, Steve? Um, I thought it was, first of all, it was brutal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is definitely a book that if you if you don't expect gore, sexual violence, if you don't like that, especially the sexual violence, don't read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, it will, you will go pillow for it. But I thought it was, it reminded me of reading Naked Lunch for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the style it was written in, it's definitely non-traditional narrative. Um, she mixes up different types of narratives, but at some point, and the short vignettes, every every little section, two or three pages, and it. I don't know if she actually did a cut-up thing, but there are points where the narrative kind of makes less sense reading it as as um, point A to point B, and more sense is as feeling it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. yeah. That's, that's as, as much as I can describe how naked lunch read to me when I first read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus obvious, there's the obvious, you know, it's brutal and over the top brutal, which, oh, yeah. which uh, definitely reminded me of it as well. I mean, yeah, this book is definitely uh, brutal. As you say, I think the, the short vignettes, actually give you a little bit of breathing room. Um, I really, that's one of the things about Cezanne's style that I liked about Crime Rave is how each chapter was just a vignette of that time of day uh, dealing with a certain group of characters. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I, I liked the breathing room. I liked um, how really it's, it, they're paired. The vignettes are paired and that you get a character, you know, the, an event from one character's point of view then you get the same event from the opposite character, from the other person's point of view. Mm-hmm. And the premise of the book is that it asks a very simple question. And one that's explored to some extent in a lot of horror fiction is who are the monsters anyway? And in, in this book, we see uh, one definition of monster being uh, a social outcast, someone who is uh, 
in terms of the characters of this book physically freakish or or a victim yeah a, a victim I mean cuz definitely I'll, I I wouldn't use the word victim in in the context of this particular book this book actually word the survivor definition rather than right. the victim definition I'll keep that but all, and then all we the, have the the normal folks who are generally the bad guys who are real monstrous characters and they are the most normal of the characters of the book in fact you can almost equate how normal they appear in the narrative to their level of monstrousness right there's an inverse relationship between actual monster and normalcy mm-hmm. exactly and and yeah like you said it, it is very brutal there are uh, graphic depictions of sexual violence there's graphic depictions of violence um, murder these sorts of things but in 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 some ways the first half is is also very personal uh it is primarily written in second person uh the the succubus sideshow succubi sideshow sorry i think it's all the whole first part is written in second person it it is you get to inhabit the the minds and the lives of of these women and these um and these monsters for lack of mm-hmm. a better term yes she, she does uh like you were saying, she has both points of view of any event that happens. So you'll have the the woman who gets brutalized and then turn right around and the next one is the guy who did it mm-hmm. from his point of view. Right. And you get you get inside his his background, you know, and, and almost and in almost a sympathetic kind of way. In a lot of horror, you know, you don't end up sympathizing with the the survivors or the victims or you don't end up sympathizing with the monster. Well, right, because a lot of horror is objective. Mm-hmm. It's um, the reason why we have plush Freddy Kruegers. Right, you're, you're, you're an observer. In, in 99% of the horror that's, that surrounds you, even the stuff that's written in first person, you're an observer. You're there for the ride. And the way this is written, you're sucked in and you're part of it. Yep. And I think that that adds to the brutality. Oh, yeah. Oh, most definitely. The second part of the book, the, the second half of the first part of the book is the Fantastic Carnival, as we said. It's a, it's a movie-style script. And here, Cezine just, she cuts loose. This is probably one of the, the strangest things I have read. Yeah. Now, I'm not, and I never have been, a part of the rave scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just, it skipped me. I, right. I, it happened when I was too old to rock and roll, too young to die. Right. <laughs> so, um, I, but I get that, like, that social party uh, um, aspect of it, just not right. in that context. So, it, a little of this kind of washed over me well uh, you know i think i think you have a perspective on the um the uh recreational use of pharmaceuticals me yeah <laughs> and and trust me this the that was this, the least shocking yeah, part of this right but <laughs> to me was i was like oh yeah they're all joining and triple right. acid and smoking pot I'm like 
that's Saturday night, man. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Not yeah. anymore, kitties, but <laughs> not anymore, but uh yeah, I I remember those days too. Um, you know, and I do remember, you know, the rave scene being kind of on the fringes of that and and having gone to a few and knowing DJs and spinning records and things like that. So yeah, there's there is a kind of there was a familiarity going into this script that that reads very much like a, a, a traditional narrative. It doesn't I've read scripts for like really, really well known movies and things like this. I think the last one I remember reading was like uh well, it doesn't matter what it was. It wasn't a Star Wars movie. It was not a Star Wars movie. Uh, Cider House Rules. That's what it was. Uh-huh. I actually read that. Movies that I movies that I don't would not probably watch. I, I will read the script. Um, this one actually, Cezine's scripting actually flows much better than an actual movie or production yep. shooting script hmm. because her descriptions. She doesn't talk about camera. She talks about the camera, and there is the camera is almost a character. Yeah, she talks about the camera, but it's not in a mechanical way. Like, no. like you said, it's definitely to draw you into the scene or away from the scene or to bring you from one scene to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's a narrative tool as opposed to what what someone wants the actual camera to be doing. Right, and and that makes it that makes it kind of fun and interesting um, because the camera it does it moves. It's almost like you, the reader, are the camera. And the narrative of what the camera is doing and the description of the scene, it it moves you around. It, you go upstairs, you go straight up into the air, you close up, you pan out. It's interesting you, because you, you contrast that point of view mm-hmm. uh, where you are the camera and you're watching to the first part where you are the characters and you're experiencing Mm-hmm. And in the second part, um, it actually, even though you are the observer, it's more personal, I think, because you get to see the relations, the relationships of these women building mm-hmm. um, as everything goes on. There's a few groups and they end up coming together at this party and and you get to see that happen. And I don't think you could have done that in the second person. No. That, from the first part, no, you um, and and we should let the the listener know that all of the characters in the second part are introduced through the vignettes. Most of them, some of them aren't. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of others that are that are new characters. There are more characters in this book than in Catch Twenty Two. Mm-hmm. There there are a lot of characters, and and Sazie does a good job of juggling them, and and she gives you a guide too. Mm-hmm. So. She gives you a, a, a guy, a character's name, and a synops, a synopsis, synopsis of their power. Because mm-hmm. for, really, what this is—I mean, if you want to strip away all the psychological stuff—it's a story. It's an origin story for a superhero team. Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, all of these characters have this weird kind of X Men, Inhumans kind of thing going on, where each one of them. Over the course of the uh, the Succubi sideshow, learns they have a power. 
that they get through um, survive, trauma survival. Mm-hmm. And, and in surviving trauma, they find themselves transformed. They find themselves larger than life, really. I mean, right. because these characters do can do things that the normal human can't. Right. And, and, and in many cases, it helps them survive trauma. In other mm-hmm. cases, it helps them to avenge trauma. Right. And, and we'll find out, because in the nonfiction section, I did read a little bit of it, mm-hmm. why that is. You'll uh, have to tune in next week. Yep, when we go and through the nonfiction spoilers. section. Or you can buy the book and then spoil it for yourself. Oh, definitely buy the book regardless. So the second half is this narrative of all of these characters deciding they're going to a rave. And it's a, it's a Halloween night rave. And it, it's it's not just them, it's like the event. Right, it's the event. Um, thousands of people are going to this thing. Um, it is, it's being and, held on a mansion that occupies an entire Hollywood hill. Mm-hmm. And the mansion itself is self-replicating. Right, and sentient. Yeah. Because it is it is a manifestation of the smog goddess. Right. And, yeah, like I said, this, this half of shit. the book, it, <laughs> it's trippy. It is the strangest thing you, have, you will ever read in your life. She lets it all hang out, and you see all of her influences coming in. Um, it's very steeped in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I believe this book uh, was originally released in 2001, and at that point it was uh, it was 10 years old, right? Uh, something like that, I believe. Yeah, yeah. she had written it in two. Maybe it was 2011 when it was released because she wrote it in 2000. Oh, she wrote it in 2000. I'm sorry, I misread the author's note at the beginning. I'm pretty sure that's yeah. Oh, maybe not. I don't know the essays. Couple of the essays were put together in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a very long time. I was put together in the year two thousand one, with the exception of the night the sky opened up essay and the mm-hmm. Okay, right. so. oh yeah, that's when it was written, and then it was uh, published in two thousand ten. So yeah, all right, okay, there yeah. You so so written in two thousand one, it's it's still you know the nineties were not that too distant of a memory. No, I mean, this is definitely, 2001 is squarely in the 90s era, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, you still had, people still knew who DMX was, and <laughs> and uh, Limp Biscuit was still going strong. Hey, Limp Biscuit. Right. And There's then, a slash S next to that for sarcasm. Like, fucking right, and then you had, you had, it was pretty much the, the, Kind of the dying days of the the rave era, anyway. Yeah, it was also like the end of uh, when bands like Creed were like representing rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that post grunge era. Oh man, the writers on the storm pisses me off. Yeah. So so yeah, this story is is not only steeped with uh, '90s pop culture references. There are it's. It is such a melting pot of influences. You know, there's there's elements like we said earlier of superhero tales. There's there's elements of classic weird fiction. Um, the entire plot device of the weird sentient house is. Oh, 
Yeah, slasher yeah. flicks. Slasher flick elements. There's ghost stories in here. Um, there's like there's beat. I mean, there's definitely a huge element of, of beat writing. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely some beat writing in there. Like you were giving it uh, a comparison to Naked Lunch. Um, definitely some of that kind of like surrealistic imagery. Uh, overall, yeah, this this book is just. I mean, once you get past the the gut punch of the sucky by sideshow, and really that you it, once you pick it up and read the first vignette, pretty much if you can make it past the first vignette, mm-hmm. which is probably the longest one as well, right? Then I think you you're cool. I think you could. Uh, I'm not saying that you'll be you, immune to it. <laughs> Right, because I had to put it down a few times and go. Man. Yeah, you you did have to have you did need breathing space. Yeah, you need um, a metaphoric ginger. Yes, because it is it is a very powerful, um, very emotional ride uh, through the first half through through the sucky by sideshow is. And it does. When you're done with it, it kind of leaves you kind of raw. And and I definitely I had to take a break in between the first two parts. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um just just because you know, yeah, I did. I felt I felt raw. Now I will say that this is not the book if you claim to be an MRA. Or a pickup artist, or some bullshit like that. <laughs> if you're wearing a trilby, you don't want to read this book. Yeah, well, if, actually, if, maybe you should read this book and learn something. True. But chances are, if you're wearing a trilby, and you know, you will probably just go, "Ah." Oh. If you're wearing a trilby, you'll have this book on your shelf, <laughs> but the spine will have never been cracked. Right. It's and there. every time you point it's at there it, there as bait. It's there as bait. It'll be there as bait. You'll read if you do suck it up and and read it. Trilby wears. I'm sure you'll be crying into your uh, your Steve Bannon poster, screaming about Miss Andre, claiming how you're a victim. Right. Because yeah, Cezine pulls no fucking punches. No, she does not. And I'll tell you this: there are there were times reading it, I was going, "Holy shit." <laughs> but you know what? It's what it is. It, it, it's described on there as post a postmodern feminist horror novel, mm-hmm. and really, that's what it is. I mean, she right. deconstructs the essence of horror and reconstructs it in a pro female milieu. And yes, and I'll tell you what: a lot of horror is not pro female. <laughs> This is true. It would actually be quite the opposite, and you can you can scream up and down how there's the last girl survivor trope, or or evoke Ripley. Yeah, but I mean, you can if you can name a couple of examples as opposed to the actual world at large. Mm-hmm. But this for every female survivor, six or seven other women got fucked up. Oh yeah, in a in a horrible way. Yeah, yeah, and it's it is like you said, it it deconstructs horror and and makes it female centric. Um, 
and it is very aggressively so. Mm -hmm. But now on the other side of that coin, there's a positive message, especially in the second part of this, mm -hmm. in the um, Fantastic Carnival of solidarity and, and you know. Friendship. Uh, yeah, friendship and, and, and just sticking together through and sticking up for one another. I guess that's what mm -hmm. solidarity is, but. Yeah. It, in the and, face of, you know, trauma. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And truthfully, as as a fan of of you know harsh justice in fiction, you know you find yourself cheering when one of these ladies gives or, a little come up, come gives up. a little bit of comeuppance. Yeah, just like when you watch Tank Girl and you know she breaks that dude's neck on the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, little little things like that. And Tank Girl is even referenced in the book. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. You know, there's there's another one of those pop culture references uh, that are that are everywhere. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what. One of my favorite parts was uh, there's a character. Her name is Lily, mm -hmm. and she's a cyclops. Yes. So she goes to this rave dressed as Leela from Futurama. Yep. <laughs> okay. And you had, now, you had the Powerpuff Girls too. And not only is that funny because I love Futurama. But she's dressing herself, and I'm sure Sazine did this like completely on purpose as one of the strongest female characters in animation. Not not in like that show, but in animation. Right. So, well, I mean, if you if you look at some of the other costumes that the characters are wearing, you have Leela from uh, Right Futurama. You have Catwoman and Poison Ivy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the Powerpuff Girls and three characters who were dressed as themselves. Right. <laughs> nice costume. Which is which is really interesting as well because that, that adds different perspective to it is that most of the other characters, with the exception of Lily, were normal looking. Right. They, you, know, you wouldn't know them passing on the street. Right. Three of the other characters that um, that came in with Lily were part of a government experiment. So you have a you know, reptile woman and a woman who can make you know blades of metal pop out of her arms, kind of like Marrow in the X Men. Mm -hmm. And then you had a third, the third character. I've, I've forgotten what her power was. Uh, the pheromones. That's what it was. No. Right. Um, okay, so you had was it Wake? Uh, well, there's so many characters; it's it's hard to. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. And that, that the thing is, you had a, a bunch of them that were introduced in the vignettes, and then you had these ones that weren't, and you kind of get their story. Right when the they're narrative. introduced. When they're yeah, exactly. So, so you have you have a lot of these characters. There's there's one young lady in the in the story whose ability is to just blend in with the environment. Nobody even notices her, right? You know, and so you have these these characters who each represent um, an aspect of of feminist thought and discussion and and types of people that you run into and. 
in the end, yeah, the way to survive is they all have to stick together. And so it ends up being a very positive and powerful message wrapped up in all this fucking batshit crazy. And there, there's definitely a lot of batshit crazy. Oh, absolutely. If you're if you're in the mood for something brutal and highly experimental, I would recommend going out and and getting this book. I believe it's available on Smashwords. I think you can get it on Amazon as well. Yeah. Okay. It was NRG Secrete and um, Emilia who were with really. Right. That just. That's for a point of order. Mm -hmm. Can edit that out. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah. hold on. Now you can edit it out. <laughs> I will say that this is that this is the setup for Sezine's second book, Crime Rave, which I did read first. Right, you read that when, when uh, we had her on the show. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had finished it, reading it uh, probably about a month or so before we had her on the show. And, yeah... That takes both styles presented here. It takes the batshit crazy of Fantastic Fantastic Carnival and the vignette style of Sucky by Slideshow Sideshow and merges them together into this uh police procedural dealing with the aftermath of the Fantastic Carnival. Right. And you had mentioned that the that the villain in that is uh Really fucking great. Oh yeah, a fantastic villain. Is it Kalanati? That's the smog goddess. Right. She, is she the villain in the in the primary? She's she's kind of like she is in Fantastic Carnival, kind of overseeing all. Okay. Uh, more of a passive force of nature. She's the Deus Ex Machina. Right. The Deus Ex Machina. The um, evil as an uncontrollable force okay. that just kind of broods there and 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 she she is actually powered by all of this nastiness that's going on right it's almost like if you look at the meta narrative of both halves together um the sucky by sideshow is really kalanathi gaining power and coming into existence um, as as a sentient form, uh, because that all of that leads up to Fantastic Carnival. Fantastic Carnival just keeps building and building and building to a crescendo, <laughs> right? Quite literally. Well, right. Well, without giving it away, it, it definitely had. I, I guess you want to say Call of Cthulhu ish. Yeah, yeah. Plot devices, um, not not yeah, not Lovecraftian, was... but call it, specifically Call of Cthulhu again. Mm -hmm. Right, more more later pulp cosmic horror right. type of thing. Once again, that's another one of those elements in the in the mix here of this this gumbo of a book. Yeah, and yeah, you feel like you've read several authors, almost like you've read an anthology by the time you're done. <laughs> Because you know you get so many, you get different stories, and all of them converging into this one central narrative. But all of them are unique. All of, you know, we keep saying there's so many characters, there's so many characters, but even then, each character is unique and has a voice. Right. Well, and then and, that the other thing is she does give 
a list of all the characters yes. and like their primary function in the narrative. So it's 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 the equivalent of having like uh, in if you read like a like Gene Wolf Gene Wolf's Book of the Sun, mm-hmm. at, he does it at the beginning, which is great because he misinforms you. But he'll have this cast of characters and just who they are in relation to major things. Right. Just so you can keep it straight in your head. Mm-hmm. And she does it. So, I mean, it's 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 not a distracting thing because it's, you know, right. it's, it's, you know I have it on an e-reader, so it's just a quick go back to that page. But also, there's there's another element to it as well is that this book is also illustrated. Yes. There are a number of watercolor illustrations by uh, Rose Margaret Denise. Um, that, and they're very beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the one that struck me the most was actually the illustration of the house. Hmm. Because when you look at it, the perspectives are wrong. From a, from a, If you were looking at it from a technical standpoint, and I caught it when... I, I, you know, reading it on my laptop, I had the picture here and the text over on the other side and my eyes grazed across it. I'm like, wait, no, that house looks wrong. Well, the thing is, though, and it's supposed the, to because that house is wrong. Right. A lot of the watercolors have weird perspective in them, though. I think that's the only one. But, you know, that's I think that's a stylistic thing. I'm trying to find it. The house. But I think that was out of all of the watercolors, that one has to be one of my favorites. Is, is the house because it is so delightfully strange and wrong, and I'm probably going to steal it out of the book and blow it up and hang it up in my house. So yeah, there we go. American Monsters, Cezine Kohler, yeah, uh, with watercolor illustrations by Rose Margaret Denise. Go out, get this book. Yes, pick sir. up her other book, Crime Rave, as well. Read them as a set. She's currently working on a third. She's currently this, working on the same a third. series. Um, also, you can catch uh, a lot of Cezine's, uh social and pop culture commentary on Wear Your Voice, uh, which is an online magazine. She's also published yeah. in the HuffPo. Right, you can follow her on Twitter. You can follow her on Twitter. If you still twit. If you can make it past the orange gatekeepers. Yes, and the trilby wearers. So, yep, definitely go out and get a copy. So until next time, say goodnight, Steve. Thanks, Steve.